in a church, it's great because there's never any kind of problems between people. You know, was that funny? You know, everybody in a church respects each other. Everyone talks good of one another. Everyone works together to come up with solutions to the problems and challenges that exist. In the rare chance that someone is offended, the the offended person goes directly to the person of concern. They talk through their differences, and everything is worked out. There's never anger. There's never frustrations in a church family. Oh, if only this were so. But it's not. We all know that it's not. In fact, churches have a tendency to fight over the silliest of things. Let me share with you some of the foolish things that churches have fought over. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the church for you. Now, I say it's probably better not to put any because most of those pictures are kind of creepy, if you think about it. <laughs> a petition to have all of the church staff clean shaven. I suppose that's appropriate for November. <coughs> Arguments over what type of green beans ought to be served at the church meal. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion available. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground with this land or to use it for a cemetery. A dispute over whether or not stalls need to be installed in the women's restroom or, or no, leave them without stalls. These are the kinds of crazy things that churches have fought over, and you've probably heard of others that are just as crazy. Unfortunately, believers in the church are often at odds with one another and over the, the silliest of things. But let's move beyond the church for a moment. Let's think about relationships with your spouse, with your family, with your co-workers, with neighbors. Getting along with people in any context can be really challenging. And so this is what we're going to think about today. How do we get along with others? What's key in developing healthy relationships? This morning we'll be in James chapter 4 as we think about these questions together. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to take a pew Bible and turn to page 1073 and follow along in a moment as we read. Now in James 4, James continues a discussion that was begun in James chapter 3. If you remember in James chapter 3, we talked about this last week. James said that selfish ambition and bitter envy cost every kind of dispute. And every kind of, of bad conduct imaginable. And now in chapter 4, he's going to zoom in and he's going to show what that disorder looks like in the life of the church. Let's read James 4, beginning in verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In this passage, James answers the question, how do we have healthy relationships? Let's look in verses 1 through 3 as we think about this together. James begins with a probing question. What is it that causes wars and fighting among you? Well, who's the among you that James is talking about? It's the church. He's talking to believers who are part of the church. Now, it's important to see in this text, as we see throughout the New Testament, the expectation is that people who know Jesus aren't Lone Ranger Christians going out on their own. But instead, they're a part of a church family. Biblical Christianity is marked by a deep commitment to a local church family. Now, some of you perhaps resist a commitment to a local church. But you must recognize that to do so is to be out of step with biblical Christianity. To do so is to be out of step with biblical Christianity. Now, notice that within this New Testament church, there was sin. There was already trouble. The church is, is practically new. And yet within these churches, there's already trouble. In fact, James uses military language to describe the kind of conflict that's occurring within this church. There's fighting. There's war. It's often been said, I'm sure you've heard it, if you find the perfect church, do not join it. Because if you do, you'll ruin it. <laughs> After all, the church is filled with believers who still have sinful desires. And Satan is going to come after the people of God. We're, we're, we're a target for the evil. So of course there's going to be trouble in a church anywhere you have people gathered. There will be trouble, and particularly because we're a church. Satan wants to get us off. We're Satan wants to get us uh, fighting with one another. This side of heaven, there is no perfect church. There weren't in the New Testament, and there will not be today. But James answers the question that he asked. What is the source of the wars and the fighting among you? He says the source of these wars and this fighting is your inner passions. It's the selfish desires that are in your hearts that drive you. You see, within each one of us, we, even though we know the Lord Jesus, we still have selfish desires we still want our own way. And James says it's those selfish desires that reside within each one of our hearts that's the cause of the war and the fighting. And that's what James is saying. It's the selfish desire within these believers who's causing this problem. In verse 2, James says you desire and you don't have. In other words, these believers want what they want. They didn't care about what others needed, about what others' concerns were. They wanted their own way. They were driven by their wants. They were driven by their wishes. And then he says these believers covet. How to covet is to want what someone else has. In other words, their inner desires were never satisfied. 
Then James says something somewhat striking. You murder. And we don't believe that people within the churches that this letter went to were actually murdering one another. I, I, that's possible. But probably what James is saying is he's using language that's strong to help them realize the results of how they're behaving. That the way that they're acting results in murder. What does he mean? It means the death of relationships. The, the dying of a church. These behaviors, these words, these attitudes were like murder. And perhaps James uses that word to remind them that it is possible if they continue on this path that these disputes could actually become physical and that they could turn to violence. Clearly, the goal of the folks in this church is to get their own way. Now, Christians often get out of shape about all kinds of things that, that don't matter. We, we, we were talking about this in a, a moment ago. What matters in a church is allegiance to biblical truth. Those are things that we have to stand on. When it comes to, to core key biblical truths, we have to stand. But on a lot of other things, and these are mostly what make up church disputes, it's all about preferences. In fact, preferences that become sinful preferences. Like, I like this kind of music, or I want that color curtain. You know, the big things, the things that, that really, really are consequential. Those are the things so often that drive conflict within churches. So James says, to get what you want, you go to war with violent words. After all, you should get what you want. James was putting the focus. It's all about you. That's, that's what James is saying. This is the attitude that he's condemning. He says these believers didn't have because they didn't ask. In other words, these people were not, they were not committed to prayer. They weren't committed to, to coming to God and saying, God, would you work in this situation or in that situation? Would, would you move? No, they were just wanting their own way. They, they weren't interested in bringing their needs to God, but when they did, in the rare instance they did in verse 3, we see that their prayers were marked by bad motives. In other words, their prayers were again characterized just by their own sinful desires. And for this reason, God didn't answer their prayers. Now, if you'll remember in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, Ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be opened. So God is eager to answer our prayers. But Jesus also said, up in chapter 6, in Matthew 6, looking at verses 9 and 10, he said that when we pray, we ought to pray in accord with the will of God, desiring to see God's kingdom brought forth. And you see, the prayers of these believers had nothing to do with God's will. Their prayers had only to do with their own will. And so what do verses 1 through 3 teach us about healthy relationships? Well, first, recognize that your sinful desires lead to trouble with others. It's your sinful desires. It's my sinful desires. This is what leads to trouble with others. There's a Dr. Seuss book called The Big Brag. And in this silly tale, there's a rabbit who starts bragging that he's the best beast of all. Well, the next thing you know, there's a bear who takes him to task. Well, the rabbit, to prove that he is the best beast of all, demonstrates his superb ability to hear. After all, he heard a fly cough 
was 90 miles away. And he was sure that would prove that he was the best beast of all, but the bear said, no, I can top that. I can smell much further than that. And so the bear demonstrated that he could smell a nest of hummingbird eggs, and he could smell that there was a stale egg in the nest, and he could smell that nest over 600 miles away. Well, about that moment, a worm pops up out of the ground, and he takes both the rabbit and the bear to task. He says, I can beat you both. My sight is far better than your hearing or your smell. And so he says, I can see. I can see across China. I can see across Japan. I can see across Egypt. In fact, I can see all the way around the world back to the hill where we're standing. And on the hill where we're standing, I see the two biggest fools that have ever been seen. (laughs) And then the word said, and the fools that I saw were none other than you who seem to have nothing else better to do than to sit here and argue about who's better than who. How often are we like those two? Not as blatantly proud. We wouldn't be quite so open about it, but still so very self-focused, so very committed to being on top, to being the best. You see, a lot of the trouble that we experience And our relationships is the result of our own sinfulness. It's the result of our own self-centeredness, of our own pride. Let's consider a couple of questions as we think through how this applies in our lives. First, regarding the church, we ought to recognize that conflict within the church is often caused by selfish, sinful desires. Conflict within the church is often caused by selfish, sinful desires. The drive to have our own way can affect the whole church family, causing conflict and turmoil within a church. But a step toward peace and calming troubled waters within a church family is realizing that much of the trouble is not out there, and it's right here. Often much of the trouble is right here our own hearts. Next, let's think more broadly. When you're having relationship problems, look at your own heart. When you're having relationship problems, look at your own heart. Are you having trouble with your spouse? Before you point a finger, look in the mirror. Are you having trouble at work? The biggest problem may not be your boss or your fellow employee. It might be you. It might be what's happening in your own heart. Sure, your boss isn't perfect. Neither are your co-workers. There's no doubt about either of those two facts. But your biggest issue may be the way you're handling the problem. Maybe the way that, that you're responding to the situation. You see, our sinful desires can lead to all sorts of problems with others. So consider what changes need to be made in your own life. Make sure that you're not the problem. In what ways could your sin be the source of trouble? And dissension in your relationships. So we've seen that our sinful desires can lead to trouble with others. How else do we have healthy relationships? Well, let's look at verses 4 through 10. James confronts these believers directly. He, he says to them, you are guilty of adultery. Plain and simple, you're adulterers. Now, they weren't adulterous in regards to their marriages. They were adulterous in regards to their relationship with God. 
they have become spiritual adulterers. Well, who have they committed adultery with? James answers the question. You've committed adultery with the world. Now, by world, James means the worldly system that's opposed to God. James says you have chosen the world and you've left God behind. They were chasing after the ways of the world. They were pursuing the things that the world said mattered. They were living the way that pleased the world and they did not care what pleased God. In verse 5, we're reminded that God doesn't want to be two-timed. And he's not going to put up with being two-timed. We're told that God is a jealous God. Now, not in the, the selfish, petty way that, that characterizes so much of human jealousy. You know what? God is jealous of our worship and our service. Why? Because they rightfully belong to him. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And our hearts rightfully belong to him. So he is jealous of our hearts of our service and of our worship. Like a husband who's jealous when a, a man pursues his own wife, so God is jealous when we chase after the foolish idols of this world. In verse 6, James reminds these believers that God gives a greater grace. This means that God helps us to live as we ought to live. He gives us the grace to, to pursue Him and to become more like Him. James cites a some Old Testament passages here in verse 6 to remind his readers that when we come to God humbly, he's happy to give grace and to help. But he resists those who are proud and who are arrogant and who think they're all that. Now in verses 7 through 10, James gives a series of 10 commands to the church. Now all but one of these commands is in the plural. In other words, when you see the command, instead of seeing the word you, it's translated in text and see the word y'all. Y'all, because these are commands to the church. First, submit to God. Submit to God. Seek to obey Him, to do what He says. Second, resist the devil. Resist the devil. That means refuse to yield to Satan, to the lies that he whispers in your ear, to his schemes. Actively resist temptation. When you refuse to traffic in the devil's lies, but instead you yield to God, the devil will flee. That's what James says. The devil will, will flee. He'll leave you alone. Now, he'll come back again, no doubt, but he'll flee. But if you flirt with temptation, if you say, oh, how close to the line can I get? Oh, can I get a little bit closer? Can I get a little bit closer? Friend, you're already in trouble because you're not resisting the devil. No, he's chosen to hold his hand chosen to hold his hand. So James says to these believers, resist the devil. Third, draw near to God. What does that mean? In your heart, say to God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be close to you. And what does James say? When you have that kind of heart, God will draw near to you. He'll be with you. Fourth, cleanse your hands. Now James is in trouble. The people at this church have filthy hands, have with grease or dirt or whatever. James says that to illustrate the point that people who claim to follow Jesus ought to live lives that reflect that, ought to live lives of obedience. Here James is focusing on external behavior. Make sure your behavior lines up with your faith. But then fifth, he says, purify your hearts. Now he turns his focus inwardly. They needed to, to purify their hearts. They needed to seek to have a pure heart. So this means be careful what you look at. 
Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you allow to fill your mind, what you think about. When our hearts are pure, we're double-minded. We're pursuing God on the one hand, but we're pursuing the world on the other. Obviously, God doesn't want us to be double-minded. Sixth, James says be miserable. Seventh, he says mourn. Eighth, weep. Ninth, let your laughter become mourning and your joy become gloom. And each of these commands, James is urging believers to be broken over their sin. To be broken over their sin. You see, sin can't be taken lightly. It must be seen in all of its seriousness. Your sin is like walking up to God, looking at Him, and reaching up and slapping Him in the face. We don't like to think of sin like that, but that's exactly what sin is. Sin is saying to God, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. I'll do it my way. It makes light of the blood of Jesus. Think about Jesus. He was nailed to a cross. He was beaten. He was tortured. He bled and suffered. And when you and, when you and me, when we sin, we're just making a joke out of the cross. We're just making light of it. We're saying it doesn't matter. James wants his readers, he wants us to be miserable over our sin, to mourn, to weep, to be sorrowful over the rebellion that's in our lives. The final command in verse 10 is humble yourself. That means admit to God that, that you're weak, that you need his help. Admit to God that, that you can't do it on your own. And when you come to God humbly, James assures us that he will lift you up. God will help you. He'll give you the strength. All of he'll help you begin to change. So what do these verses tell us about healthy relationships? Well, to get relationships right with others. Get your relationship with God right. Get your relationship with God right. This church was going to be a war zone until the people of God got right with him. That was the bottom line. What is our attitude toward God? Often it's like this little boy. This little boy wanted to go swimming, but his dad had said to him, you stay out of the creek, you're not going to go swimming. Well, later, guess where his dad caught him. He was in the creek swimming. And dad said to his son, son, why are you swimming in the creek? I told you not to do that. And the little boy said, I didn't mean to. And then his daddy said to him, then why are your swim trunks on? And the little boy said, well, I brought them along just in case I got tempted. <laughs> now, friend, if that describes your relationship with God, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. It's time to quit flirting with sin. It's, try, it's time to quit making sin a game. It's try, time to quit making sin small. It's time to draw close to God, to say to God, I'm tired of playing games with you, God. I really want to know you. Don't expect your relationships with others to be healthy when your relationship with God isn't. You must get this right. Your walk with God. So how should we think about these truths in our lives? Well, first, are you trying to live in two worlds? Claiming to love God, but then also 
loving the world, holding on to the world? Have you ever tried to stand on both sides of the picket fence? It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be comfortable. Neither is trying to love God part-time. Trying to love God on the halves. You are designed to love him with all that you are. If you're two-timing God, you'll never find joy and satisfaction. And you'll find that your relationships are struggling as well. So don't try to live in two worlds. Now love the Lord with all your heart. Next, are you humbly crying out to God to help you follow? Are you humbly crying out to God to, to help you follow? None of us can really love and follow God in our own strength. We, we need His help. And when you come to Him humbly, when you pray like that, oh, He's happy to answer. He'll help you. He'll help you quit loving the world. He'll help you begin to change. I'm not saying that everything will be easy. It usually isn't. Sometimes God does just answer our prayers and make it easy. But oftentimes, it's a process of change. But he will help you change. Even in the midst of, of it being a process, he'll help you become more like Jesus. He delights to answer this kind of prayer. Next, are you resisting the devil or flirting with temptation? Are you resisting the devil or flirting with temptation? Have you ever said mouse trap and baited it, and then the next morning you look at the mouse trap and it looks like that mouse managed to get the bait. Its trap didn't, didn't go off. Well, what do you do? You try again the next night. You try some kind of different bait. Maybe this won't be quite so easy to negotiate. And, and maybe that mouse is able to avoid getting caught a time or two. But eventually, it's not going to work out. And you're going to catch the mouse. You know that. You've seen that happen. If you ever tried to catch a mouse, eventually that mouse trap's going to go off and you've caught your mouse. And if you play around with the bait, if you play around with sin in your own life, it may work a time or two. But eventually, you're going to get caught. If we play around with sin, we'll pay the price. It's just a matter of time. It's a price that we need not pay. So if you don't get this right, if you don't get your relationship with God right, your relationships are going to suffer as well. Your walk with God is the foundation upon which you build the, the relationships in your life. So don't flirt with temptation and sin. Draw close to God. We've seen that healthy relationships, you need to be in a right relationship with God. The Lord. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 as we continue to think about healthy relationships. James urges these Christians not to speak poorly of each other. Notice that James uses the term brother and sister. This was a term of endearment. He cares for, for these believers. He's confronting them boldly with sin. But he cares about them. He loves them. They're his brothers. They're his sisters. And then he says if anyone judges or defames a fellow believer, he does so to the law of God. What does James mean by that? Well, he says, when you're speaking to evil of others, you're breaking God's law. And in that way, you elevate yourself as a judge above the law. You decide if a law is to be followed or not followed. And James reminds these believers that there's only one lawgiver and one judge. God himself. He knows everything. We don't. He's the giver of the law. We're the recipients. He has the authority and character to judge others. We don't. He has the power to save and destroy. In other words, the eternal destiny of people, it's in his hands, not ours. And judging the hearts of others 
We set ourselves up as little gods. And this kind of a critical spirit is usually the result of an inflated view of ourselves and choosing the result of our own pride and our own arrogance. Now, please don't misunderstand. These verses don't mean that we don't call sin, sin. We, we must call sin, sin. What the Bible calls sin, we have to call sin. I'm not judging anybody when I say that what the Bible says is sin, is sin. I'm just being faithful to the scriptures. And within the church, we have a responsibility to confront willful and rebellious sin. That, that's clear from scripture. To do so isn't judging, it's obedience to God's word. And it demonstrates a concern for the, for the sinner, and also it demonstrates a concern for the witness of the church. See Matthew 18, 15-20 for an example. We don't ignore willful, open sin in the church. When we do, we are disobeying scripture. So, so James isn't calling for that. What James is, is confronting isn't a deep concern for a fellow believer who's caught in sin. James is confronting a critical and judgmental spirit. What's the difference? Well, there's a world of difference. It's the heart. It's the motive. The one's concerned for a person and longs to see them get right with God and, and avoid this path that's going to bring them harm. The other is just about hurting the person. It's just about noticing their weakness. It's about zeroing in on, on how sorry they are and how no good they are. You see the difference in the spirit? One's brokenhearted. One's rejoicing over the opportunity to critique. And James says there's no place for that in the church. So what do verses 11 and 12 teaches about healthy relationships? To have healthy relationships, avoid a critical spirit toward others. Avoid a critical spirit toward others. Have you ever stepped in a fireman bed? If you do, you know it in a hurry. Those little things are merciless. Their posture is attack, attack, attack. They have a scorched earth policy. You lift up your foot a second after you've stepped on a bed and it seems like you have a, a couple dozen bites. Why? Because their automatic reaction is to attack. Is that your attitude toward others? You go after people with your acidic attitude, with your wicked words. You bite into them like a good fire ant. You aren't going down. Oh, you're going to fight. You've got a critical and mean spirit, and you're ready to go. Is, is that you? Is that you? Now, in our day and time, social media has compounded this. I, I mean, we see that, that when people interact through a screen instead of through personal face-to-face -face interaction, things can get even uglier and quicker and, and and quickly, something on social media can, can turn into the equivalent of stepping on a fire at bed and staying there. We see the worst of people. This kind of critical spirit should not characterize the people of God. This kind of critical posture toward others is hellish. It's not marked by the love of God, but it's marked by the hatred, the cruelty, the evil one. So let's ask a couple questions to help us as we think through this in our lives. First. Do you find yourself focusing on the shortcomings of others? You find yourself focusing on the shortcomings of others. If you always notice how everybody else needs to get their stuff together, there's a good chance that you're working a bit beyond your pay grade. When you see everybody else's sin and everybody else's weakness, you've placed yourself right up here 
It's nice up there, isn't it? Where you're better than everyone else. The only problem is, there's only one who gets to be up here. And it's not you, friend. It's not me either. It's God alone. That's what James says. There's only one God. There's only one judge. Only one lawgiver. You see, this place up here is God. It's God's and, and God's alone. That, that's it. Again, it doesn't mean that we ignore sin in the church. We can't. But the attitude makes the difference. A critical heart toward others is sinful and it just causes more problems. If this is you, if you always have that critical spirit, I want to say to you, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. God wants that to change. Next, do you talk bad about others? Do you talk bad about others? If you're good at running uh, your mouth about how others are, are such a mess, you're part of the problem. James is saying that we don't need to, to use our words to, to run others down and to be critical of others. When we do have a problem with someone that we can't work through, then we need to go directly to them. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Instead of talking about them, we talk to them. We work it out. Now, combine a critical spirit and a mouth that can't stay shut, and you've got explosives. There's going to be trouble. You'll find all kinds of trouble in the church or in whatever realm you find those two combined. Next, are you broken over sin in your own life? Are you broken over sin in your own life? Your focus needs to move from a critical spirit about others to your own sin. You need to be broken over all the ways that you dishonor God, that you hurt others, that you need to change. You see, if I'm always focused on how wrong all of you are, I'm never focusing on what God wants to do in my own heart. God wants me to focus on what in me needs to change and leave other folks to Him. Again, there could be a time in love that I go to a brother and I bring up a concern. But it's always with the heart of restoration, with the heart of reconciliation, not with a critical, acidic spirit. So what is James's primary message in this passage? If we had to boil it down to a sentence, here it is. A right relationship with God leads to right relationships with others. A right relationship with God leads to right relationships with others. Get this right. And you'll get your relationships right, too. Now, if your vehicle has an electric window that's broken, that's a pain, isn't it? When you need your window to roll down and it won't roll down, that's inconvenient. But suppose your vehicle needs a new transmission. Without the transmission, that truck, it's not going to move. So what's your first priority? Are you focused on getting it into the shop so you can get that window that is broken fixed? Are you focused on dealing with the transmission so that your vehicle is going to move again? It's good to have a working window, but it's better to have a transmission that's fixed and it's working. Now, some of you may wonder why you have relationship problems. Now, maybe you do this or that, but things don't seem to get resolved. Disputes don't seem to, to really change. Could it be that you're trying to get the window fixed when there's a much greater problem at hand. 
The main problem is more like the transmission being out or the engine being blown. That's where the focus needs to be. What do I mean by all this? Until you get your walk with God right, you're not solving the real problem. You're not solving the real issue. Troubled relationships often reveal a need to focus on the one relationship that can, that can bring healing to all the others. The one relationship that changes everything. And focusing on getting right with God, well, that gets the engine fixed. That gets the transmission repaired. And then you can get to the broken windows. The other, the other issues, then you can work toward the healthy relationships. So a right relationship with God is key in good relationships with others. If you want healthy relationships, recognize your own sinful desires lead to much of the trouble. Get right with God and avoid a critical spirit. Believers, how is God calling you to change? Maybe you're extra hard on your wife or on your husband. And you know today that that needs to change. The Lord's convicting you and saying to you, you need to change the way that you talk to your wife, the way that you, you treat your husband. Maybe you're rough with your kids and you realize that it's time to, to try to heal that relationship or those relationships or, or whoever it might be. You recognize today that there's some troubled relationships that, that need repaired. Well, today I want to urge you first talk with God. Ask God to help you get your own walk with Him right. If there's things in your life that are not adding up, then today ask Him for the grace to get that right. And then reach out to your kids or your spouse or your brother or your sister or your neighbor or your coworker, whoever it is, and try to repair the relationship. Confess your own shortcomings. Don't start saying, you, 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 you. No, start saying, hey, I recognize I've done this and I've messed up here. I'm sorry about X or Y. Leave the other person in God's hands. You don't have to convict them. Let God do that. He's the judge. You, you make sure things are right on your end. That may not solve everything. But if it doesn't, the responsibility is yours. You've done what you can do to make the relationship right. Who is it that you need to reach out to? That you need to talk with and, and resolve some things? Maybe say I'm sorry for some things. Today, would you do that? Would you not let the day end before you spend some good time with God trying to make sure you're where you need to be with Him? And when you try to resolve and, and heal some relationships. Also, maybe you're one of those Christians who've always viewed your walk with God as a one-on-one -on -one project. Man, I love God. I walk with Him. I don't really care about the church. It's not really that critical. But perhaps you see today that James, like almost all of the New Testament, sees the local church as a critical part of the believer's life. Maybe your next step is, is committing to a church, becoming a member of a church. And, and I urge you to take that step. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ to be your Savior, I would invite you to do that today. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he suffered for our own sin. And then he was buried. He came back to life. He conquered sin and death. And because of what Jesus did... Our sins can be washed clean. We can be forgiven. We can have a fresh start, a new life. The question is this. 
Will you get this one relationship right? Will you call out to Jesus? Will you call out to Him? Will you come to the Lord?